goes. We've already had a couple bloopers. Maybe there'll be some exciting in the message. Less than two months ago, so in March of this year, Harvard University released the findings of an 85-year study. 85 years. It's not, that's not a short one. That is a long research study. It started back in 1938. Harvard researcher, researchers gathered health records from over 700 participants from all over the world, asked them detailed questions about their lives every two years for 85 years. Whoever I, I guess, would still be alive for that whole time. But this 85-year study is one of the longest-running studies on the topic of happiness. Anybody happy today? All right, hang, keep your hand up. All right, look next to you. If somebody doesn't have their hand up, say it's going to be okay. Here is what the 85-year study concluded. Here is it in a nutshell. Jobs that require little human interaction and don't offer opportunities to build meaningful relationships with coworkers tend to have the most miserable employees. I'm like, man, it took 85 years to find that out. It says, while particular roles cannot be reliably correlated with dissatisfaction and burnout, certain job characteristics can be. The secret to living a happier, healthier, and longer life, they concluded, is not money, professional success, exercise, or a healthy diet. Positive relationships are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Workplace loneliness is more common than you think. And guess what happened in 2020? This thing hit, which just last week they said that they've officially declared it as being over, I think is how they said that. But COVID hit, and the majority of the world started working from home. It impacted our relationships, our social skills, and overall happiness. Feeling disconnected from others at work is a health concern. Recent studies have shown that as we get older, this is not, I'm not even in scripture yet, this is just, this is proven research. Loneliness can increase our risk of death as much as smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. Socializing is not only good for your career, it's good for your mental health. And then just this week, May 2nd, just this past week, did anyone hear the report from the United States Surgeon General? Some of you are like, what are we talking about? He said something that I have never heard a Surgeon General say in my life. He came out and declared what he called a loneliness epidemic. The U.S. Surgeon General said that United States of America is in the middle of a loneliness epidemic. 
He said loneliness poses risks, just what the Harvard research said, that are as deadly as smoking. So today, I want to speak on this topic, loneliness epidemic. Let's pray. God, Lord, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for everything you've done up to this moment. Thank you for what you're getting ready to do right now in this service. And I thank you in advance for everything that you have planned after we leave. But God, I pray that for these next few moments as I speak, that you'd be the one speaking through me. I don't want to just share my thoughts and ideas. I want to be divinely inspired and anointed by you. And Lord, as you speak through me, let us all have open hearts and minds to receive what it is you have without distraction, without discouragement, without anything hindering, Lord, our mind and our heart from being receptive and then wanting to do something about it. Lord, talk to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, there's a slide, Blue, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. I think they changed their name recently, but there's a slide that they put out. And I don't know if everybody can read that, but it talks about loneliness in America. It says 36% of, reported, uh, of adults have reported loneliness. 50% of young adults reported that no one in the past few weeks made them feel like someone genuinely cared about them. 63% of young adults are suffering significant symptoms of anxiety or depression. That was during the pandemic. And 61% of young adults, 51% of mothers with young children feel lonely almost all the time. 43% of young adults, 47% of mothers with young adults have increased in loneliness since the outbreak of the pandemic. That, that pandemic was not just a Man, it canceled our vacation. Man, it closed down churches for a while. There's something deeply spiritual about what that caused in our country. And going back to the U.S. Surgeon General, he said in his report, widespread loneliness in the U.S. poses, pose, poses deadly risks as smoking a dozen cigarettes a day. That's the equality there. He went as far as to declare the latest public health epidemic. About half of U.S. adults say they've experienced loneliness. Dr. Murthy, who's the, the Surgeon General, said in an 81-page report from his office. He said, and I quote, We now know that loneliness is a common feeling that many people experience. It's like hunger or thirst. It's a feeling the body sends us when something we need for survival is missing. Millions of people in America are struggling in the shadows, and that's not right. That's why I issued this advisory to pull back the curtain on a struggle that too many people are experiencing. Other things from the report that I think this is, this is, this is a lot of research from the highest levels of our country. And I want to share this with you because research shows that Americans who have become less engaged in worship houses, church, Community organizations and even their own family members in recent decades have steadily reported an increase of their feelings of loneliness. The number of single households has doubled over the last 60 years. The crisis deeply worsened when COVID-19 spread, prompting schools and workplaces to shut their doors, sending millions of Americans to isolate at home and be away from relatives and friends. People cut off their friend groups during the coronavirus pandemic and reduced the time spent with those friends, the surgeons. This is, this is according to his report. Americans spent about 20 minutes a day in person with friends in 2020, down from 60 minutes a day two decades earlier. 
The loneliness epidemic is hitting young people ages 15 to 24, especially hard. The age group reported a 70% drop in time spent with friends during the same time period. I mean, let's think about it, right? When did you go out and hang out with friends the most? It's ages 15 to 24, and then you get married and have kids, and you're just like, I'll talk to you in 30 years, you know? But <laughs> loneliness increases the risk of premature death by 30%. Those with, who report uh, poor social relationships also had a greater risk of stroke and heart disease. This is, this is amazing. This is research, folks. Isolation also elevates a person's likelihood for experiencing depression, anxiety, and dementia. Technology has rapidly exacerbated the loneliness problem. You'd think that would help. No, no, no. With one study cited in the report finding that people who used social media for two hours or more daily were more than twice as likely to report feeling socially isolated than those who were on such apps for less than 30 minutes a day. Murthy said social media is driving the increase in loneliness. He says there's really no substitute for in-person interaction. That'll preach. As we shifted to use technology more and more for our communication, we lost out on a lot that in-person interaction offered. Proven research, Harvard University, 85-year study, United States Surgeon General, everyone, they're saying, it's pointing the same thing. It's not just, oh, it's not just obesity. It's not just, not, it's not, just not, not exercising. It's not just not eating right. That it's not even smoking 12, 12 cigarettes a day. The most unhealthy thing that we might be dealing with right now as a nation is loneliness. Refuge Church. What an opportunity for the church of the living God in this moment. What an opportunity. Loneliness is destroying people. Medical professionals are seeing it. People are feeling it. The government is acknowledging it. The country needs what the local church can bring. But what happens when the church pulls away? What happens when the church turns inward? When we decide that we just want to be alone? What hope does the world have then? Certainly there are times we need to be alone to rest to replenish. I'm, I'm energized being around people. So I know that I can't preach what works for me because not everyone is like me. I understand that fully. And there's times that we can, even myself, I can't be around people 24-7 weeks on and at a time. At some point, I'm just like, stop talking. <laughs> and I like to talk. For some of you, I know you're like, I feel that in 20 minutes, okay? But we all have to rest and replenish. Jesus did this, but then what do we see from him? He does that, but then he re-engages back into the mission. Ministry 
Many of you are either doing ministry, called into ministry, pursuing ministry, thinking about ministry. What is ministry? Ministry is people. One minister said, ministry is simple. It's just the people that are hard. Well, ministry is people. Never forget that. It's not about me. It's not about you. God's calling is about people. It's never about titles, positions, schedules, salary, promotions, or power. It's always about people. It's about loving people, developing people, serving people. And ministry is about relationship. I've talked to pastors before that say, yeah, you know, I like to preach and pastor. I just don't let people get close to me. And I'm like, how do you do that? How do you do? Certainly, I've been hurt by people, people that I love. Pastoring, like anything that you probably do, that there's a lot of hurt involved with that. But I don't know. I never see Jesus go, that's it. I'm going to love differently because I've been hurt by someone. Ministry is about relationship. After the resurrection, the parting words of Jesus revolved around people. He says in Matthew 28, 19, what we know as the Great Commission, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, which we know. They go on and they baptize in the name of Jesus, which is the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And he says, teaching them to observe all things that whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And then he gets ready. He says, I'm going to give you my, my spirit. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. But he tells them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the spirit. And then he says in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. These are pretty, pretty famous, well-known passages of Scripture to people that have some experience with any type of church. They, they're read pretty regularly. But look what he says. He says, go. Go to where the people are. Do not isolate. He says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. He says, teach those people what I've taught you. Let them experience what you have experienced. I gave you the Holy Ghost to be a witness. I'm calling on you to make disciples. So everything that he does, it is not about beautiful buildings, padded pews or chairs with great lights and comfortable temperature and where we just enjoy great songs and messages. That, that's all part of being in church and pursuing God. But what he said, the crux of the whole message was, I'm calling you to people. I'm calling you to relationships. I'm calling you to go make disciples, to go, to not stay, not sit. They could have just stayed and said, we're going to build a huge building and all stay here. But that's not what he called them to do. He says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. He says, you need to go where people are. And so that was always his intention. We look at the way the New Testament church was built. People experienced hope and then turned and offered that hope. That's why the vision statement of Refuge Church is experience hope, offer hope. This should be a place, when you come to a small group, a prayer meeting, a, a service like this, that when you experience hope in God, it's not just, a, oh, wow, I feel good about myself. No, I take that and turn and offer that to someone else. That's the way the, the whole New Testament church was built. It was never just about a building, the church service, a gathering space, even us in our pursuit of finding a building. I'm not trying to pursue a building so we can have just a bigger place where we can all sit. 
If that's what we're looking, I, 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 will, I will publicly say, if that's what we're going to do, I pray to God he never gives us a building. Hear my prayer, Lord. If we're going to just sit and gather in a place that's bigger than this one, don't let us have it. For me, it's about having a training grounds where more people can come, experience that hope, and get prepared to go offer that hope to someone else. Whether that's through small groups, celebrate recovery, counseling services, community services, missions work, North American missions, global missions. That's, that is why I want a facility to have more impact in sending, not seeding. I want you to see something in the powerful story that maybe you've heard before in Luke chapter 8. They arrived in Luke 8, 26. They arrived in the region of, of Gerasenes, and it says, across the lake from Galilee. And Jesus was climbing out of the boat. A man possessed. He's demon possessed. He comes up to them. And for a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in tombs outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. I want to take that and run with that right now because I've heard this preached a lot of different ways and that's the most fun way to preach it, that even the demons know who he is and and bow down. But that's not where I'm going, but you just got to mention because it's very exciting. He says, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Even the demons know who Jesus is. And if you're filled with him and his spirit, then they know you too. So don't walk in fear. But that was last week's message. I beg you, he says, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles. He simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for we are filled. He was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. They have no authority when it comes. When, when Jesus steps in, they have no authority. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into these pigs, so Jesus gave them permission. If you're standing here watching this, not only if you're the demon-possessed person, but if you're just watching this interaction, would you ever be afraid of demons again? I mean, like, you're just watching them grovel, just beg, please. And they're leaving, going into pigs. You'd be sitting there going, I have nothing. If I'm going to be walk, if I'm going to walk with Jesus, I literally never have to fear another day of my life. And I wish we could get that revelation. I wish that we could understand truly who we are and what it is that we've got a hold of. As one famous preacher would say, you've got it. <laughs> when the herdmen saw it, they, the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding country, spreading the news of the day ran. I mean, after all, you just watch this. It'd be like, whoa, maybe you're, you're fearful. Maybe you're excited. But either way, you, you're telling the news, okay? And so, because they ran and they went and they, they ran off a cliff and they drowned. All right, and so they're running around telling everybody. In verse 35, people rushed to see what happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane. They were all afraid. By the way, the closer you get to the world and to the devil, you're going to take clothes off. The closer you get to Jesus, that's where you put clothes on. 
We believe in modesty here. And I have scripture for that. People rushed to see what's happened. And then, then rose, those who had seen what happened told the others of how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region, they begged him to go away. And Jesus returns to the boat, crosses to the other side. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. Hey, you just did a great thing for me. I've been living with demon possession. I, I want to go with you. I want to be one of your followers. Jesus says to him, verse 39, no. What? I'm going to give it up all. I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow you. I want, I want to come with you. No. Go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you because they want me to leave. I can't stay here. But you... You can stay. Jesus literally told him not to follow him because the man was called right where he was. His greatest influence was not going to be on the road with Jesus. His greatest influence was to go back to the circle of people, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers. Go back to the people that have looked at you and saw the way you've been living your life for a long time. And go tell them your testimony. Too often we are going, God, where are you calling me? God, where do you want me to go? God, just, I want to go. And God's going, who has known you the longest? Don't just desire to go to another place. God might be calling you right where you are. The people you've lived next to, worked next to, went to school with, that have known. You don't have to be embarrassed. Yeah, but they know what I did, what I watched, what I listened to. They know the life I lived. They know the people that I've been with. They know, they know, they know, they know. Yeah, they know. Don't be afraid or ashamed of that. Now you can say, I know that I have lived this life for a long time, and you've walked this way and watched me do it. But let me tell you about this person who I just had an interaction with, who freed me, who, who literally changed my life. And now I'm going to live this in front of you so that the people around you can go, I've got to come and meet this person. I've got to come and see what it is that you've got that I don't have. And so, none of us, we must, we must never, ever forget the way God designed his church to grow. What he called all of us to do. Not everybody's going to work in nursery, clean the church, sing songs, play instruments, preach. We're not all called to do all the same things. Thank God for that. But one thing he called us all to do is to make disciples. There's not a person in person, online, there's no one here that he did not call to make disciples. 1 John 1, 1 and 2, he says, we, we proclaim to you the one, look what John writes, who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Who's he talking about there? Jesus. Verse 2, this is the one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him, and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. 
What is John saying? I want to tell you that I have had personal experience. We have had personal experience with the Savior of the world, with the God, with God of all creation, who took on flesh, walked among us. We touched him. We walked with him. We saw him. We experienced him. I'm not here to just brag to you about those things. I'm telling you about those things because I want you now to have these same experiences. We saw him. Now we testify and proclaim to you. We experienced hope. Now we want to offer that hope to you. You see, God spoke something to me this past week, and what he said was incredibly clear. He spoke so clearly, but what he meant, I heard what he said with great clarity, but what he meant by what he said was unclear. You ever listen to your kids talk, and they say something, they're like, yeah, and they're like looking at you, and you're like, so, okay. You know, it's been, a, it's been a challenging couple weeks. There's been a number of struggles within the church the past week, and, and this is all part of God taking us deeper. Resistance brings strength. But in the midst of all this, God simply says the same thing he spoke to Peter. He says this to me in a time of prayer. He says, the enemy desires to sift you like wheat. That's all he says. And I'm like, great, understand, clear, got the, got the words. And I'm waiting there's nothing. Like, I know the story. I, I know the story of Peter and what happened there. We'll read it. It's Luke twenty two thirty one. 31. The Lord said to Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that, you, that he may sift you as wheat. He says, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So I know the story, but I'm going, God, okay, I hear your words. I hear you. It's clear. It's clear what you're saying, but what do you, what do you mean by what you're saying? What, are you, what is your plan for what, what you're telling me right now? And a couple days went by, nothing. And God directed me to some research I had in my notes app on my phone on discipleship. And I opened up that particular note. I looked in my notes app. I found that particular note. And when I opened it up, the first thing at the top was this passage of scripture, and it said, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. So I was pretty pumped, but I'm still going, but what does this mean? And then God spoke. And he said, Peter was called to strengthen his brethren after his own sifting. He said, I always call on people to invest in others after their own life lessons. He said, part of this time of deepening is the church first learning to survive the sifting. And he said, once they do that, there will be greater depth to which I can draw from to lead others. You see, part of Satan desiring to sift us. We must survive the sifting, but surviving the sifting is not just for your own ministry. What, what is your ministry? What good is your ministry if all you do is show off your voice, preach good messages, play good musical instruments, teach good lessons downstairs, have good snacks, have creative lessons, do a really good job on sound or visual, like what? 
Ministry is people. And everything that we do, we don't, it's not just about the gathering space. It's so people's lives can be changed, can grow, can be encouraged, challenged, strengthened. So if we're in a ministry and our focus is not people, you might as well step out. Because ministry is about people. And God is calling to, he's calling us to deeper levels. But he's not doing it so we can get glory. He's not doing it so we can get a promotion or a title or a license or a, or a local position. Or a, he's, he's, not, he's not doing it so we can just be advanced in our own plans. He's doing it. Because he wants to use your life in a powerful, miraculous, and mighty way. He wants to make disciples as a result of your story, of your experience, of your interaction with him. He wants us as a church to have a disciple-making culture. He, it hasn't changed. When he said, go, go to where people are, make disciples, teach them, train them, invest in them. It's about people. Never once does he say anything about buildings and churches and tithes and offerings and ministries. Like he just, his parting words are, I've given you power to be witnesses. I've given you the Holy Ghost to be witnesses. Go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Go teach them. Go train them. Go make disciples. Everything about Jesus was about people. That's why even when people tried to force an agenda on him, he would mess up their agenda. He'd be like, oh, stop. We're going to the tomb of the dead man. Stop. There's a guy up in a tree. Stop, there's a child. Stop, there's a woman with an issue of blood. Because it was not about the agenda. It was always about people. And so if we've lost that somewhere, then we've got to get on our face today and we've got to beg God for forgiveness. Because it's always about people. It's about little people, big people. It's about every age. It's about, every, it's about the genders. It's about, it's about everybody. It's about people that aren't even identifying as a gender. It's about people. It's about souls. It's about people who are hungry, who are hurting, who are looking. That's why we exist. That's why this church exists. We're not looking for a church building just to get bigger. We're looking for a place so we can reach more people, so people can hear about Jesus, his love, about Calvary, the cross, about the resurrection, about the plan of salvation, and then we can walk with people, and we can walk with them through their hurting, through their struggles, through their addictions, and we can, we can be with them through those things. You see, because back in the day, it was believe, belong, become. That was actually in a lot of churches. That was kind of a vision statement. Believe, belong, become. But now, you know, we kind of we realize. We look back and we go, oh, sometimes I'm, maybe that's not the best route. Because people should not have to believe before they belong. Because if you're going to be a, a, a worshiper in this church... You might not believe everything like I believe in day one. But I hope you still feel like you can belong. Because now it is belong. And once I belong, then I will see if I can believe before I become. 
That doesn't mean that I'm changing a doctrinal message or preaching differently. It simply means that I want people to walk in from the streets, no matter where we are, and they can go, wow, I feel Jesus and I feel love from these people. I feel Jesus and I feel love from these people. Yeah, but they don't look like you. They don't talk like you. They don't act like you. They don't dress like you. They don't believe like you believe. That's, that's, that's all right. I don't, I don't force people to change. God's word does a really, really good job at changing people's lives. So if I can be really wise to get people exposed to the powerful words of scripture and the love of Jesus Christ, and I can preach that truth with love or teach that truth with love, then I don't have to jump in and try and help Jesus out. I just have to be wise and compassionate and loving and try and expose people to the word of God and let God's word change their life. And in the meantime, before they believe, they know I can be long here. The world is lonely. It's not, a, it's not a statement from me. It's not a statement from the United Pentecostal Church International. It's not a statement from any organized religion. This is a statement from 85-year Harvard University study. This is a statement from the United States Surgeon General in 2023. People that are not believers are looking around going, we have a problem in society right now. People are dying because they're lonely. And we as the church, when I read that, I go, what an incredible time to be a part of God's New Testament church. Now is not the time to turn inward. Now is not the time to get lost in our own finances and career and problems and issues. Now is not the time to just deal with our own hurts and our own hangups and hookups. Now is the time to more than ever before I believe in history. I have never ever in 42 plus years of living heard a, a, a government official say, we got a major issue on our hands. The world is a lonely place and people are dying because of it. I have never heard that before. So I would make the argument that right now in human history, the local church is more important than ever before. In the 1950s, a controversial religious movement known as the Unification Church, or also known as the Moonies, began by Sun Myung Moon in South Korea. Many people would call this a cult, and in no way am I approving of their religious beliefs or their methods. But I recently read about some of the things that made the Moonies so successful back then. They would go into young freshmen that would be sitting alone, people who didn't belong anywhere, any, every, because everyone wants to belong. You you know what? I, I, I don't want to ever say anything. I, I, I don't know who's sitting where and why you're sitting there. And, but here's the thing. When someone walks into this church, whether you know them or not, if they choose, I am not saying be forceful, make people feel uncomfortable, grab them by the hand. If, if, you're, if you came and grabbed me by the hand, I don't know you. I'm going to be like, get your hands off of me. However, there should never be a person that walks into this church and sits by themselves without having someone come up and say, my name is, well, if you don't have somewhere to sit, you mind if I sit down by you? It's not about your comfort level, where your seat is. We should be aware of where everybody is, what they're going through. And that's not just first time guests. That is people who come to this church who you just assume they're fine and they're not feeling lonely at all. There are people in this church that worship right here every single 
Sunday that are feeling the exact same statistics that the Surgeon General saying about other people. There are people in the walls of this facility right now that are feeling desperately lonely. And everyone wants to belong. And so the Moonies, they started by looking at those who were off by themselves, who appeared to be lonely, who appeared to not be connected to anyone. You know that there's research that points, a lot of research in this message. This is not opinion. But 97% of people who leave churches have less than six friends in the church. That jump, that number, who, who stay? Jump, the number jumps over 90% that stay. Why? Because if someone goes, I worship here, these people, oh yeah, he preaches, weep with those who re rejoice with those who rejoice, bear one another's burdens, but yet I walk into this place and I sit down here and people will give me a little hi, how are you, good to see you, hello, hello, but people don't sit by me, they don't invite me to things, they don't make me a priority, they don't pray with me, they don't say, hey, let's get coffee this week, I don't go to small groups, I feel like I'm a, 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 just, just totally, totally uh, see-through. 97% of people that leave churches have less than six solid friendships in the church. So I want to make it a point that everybody comes in here. We can't do this. I, I, you know, I can't come up with a system and a structure that goes, hi, welcome to Refuge. I'm going to assign you seven friends right now. <laughs> That'd be creepy. If you're a guest here right now, you're just like, dude, I hope he never, I need to get out of this place right now. But you see, small groups do that, don't they? You go to a small group, there might be 12, 15 people there. I promise you, you're not, gonna, you're not, you're not even going to like all 12 to 15 people. Why? I can't believe you just said that. It's just reality. You put 15 people in a room, you're not going to be like, I love every one of these people. These are the people who are meant to be my friends forever. <laughs> you're going to look around and be like, you know, that guy was pretty cool. That girl would not stop talking. Oh, my Lord. Like, no, like you'll look around, you'll think these things. But you're going to connect with a group of people. You're going to say, you know what? Man, I really enjoyed it. And that person comes up and says, hey, let me get your number. We, gotta, we should hang out sometime. Let's go do this. Let's go grab coffee. Let's go grab Let's do whatever. And, and, and friendships are developing. Come to the Memorial Day picnic. Play softball. Play cornhole. Eat food. Eating is a great time to build relationships. You know, the Bible says they, they held all things, that they, that they ministered publicly house to house, breaking of bread and fellowship. That's a scriptural concept. Humanity, we don't, we don't, when we're human beings, we don't, we don't enjoy awkwardness. I mean, like, nobody wants to be like, how's it going? I mean, anybody, you, are you feeling awkward for him, for me, for us? These are the people yeah. I meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> so, but God gave us this beautiful thing called food. Throw a plate of food in front of both of our faces, oh, we'll be all right. Yeah. We're like, it's good stuff, man. You, 
Oh, that's good meat right there. That's what I'm saying. You got any more of that? Oh, yeah. We instantly have this bond, right? We can go to Q39 and come on now. That's what I'm saying. We're friends. I know people are different. Women sometimes will go out to coffee. They'll talk about things. Men, we don't even have to talk. We just like, let's go play ball together. Yeah. We, 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 just, we, just eat, we just eat barbecue and play basketball and we're good. We're pretty easy creatures. Some of the ladies are like, no, you're not. <laughs> we like to think of ourselves as easy creatures. How about that? But here's the thing. If we can connect with people, how are we going to connect? Well, the person, new person came to church. They didn't come up and talk to me, so why in the world? A new person needs to come talk to you? Come on now. Come on now. You know, when you travel, go on vacation somewhere, go check out a church. Every, sometimes we go gone to church so long, we forget what it feels like to be new. I pastor a church, and I walk into churches sometimes and go, this is awkward. But it's good for me, because I go, leadership team, let's get together. I just had an experience. Let's make sure that never happens here. Right? Loneliness is literally killing people. We have proven research, and I'm just about done. The world is lonely. People are longing for connection, something to which they can belong, something to which will give them meaning. They will feel meaningful. The world needs the church. The world needs you. Invite your circle of friends to the upcoming Memorial Day picnic, small groups of Bible study services, or invite them to do nothing if you feel to at first. And just give them a sense of belonging, and then invite them. It's not, a, it's not a tricky ploy. It's just that, hey, I believe God's word's alive, and it can change somebody's life. So, of course, as I, any one of my relationships, I pray they all end up in church with me. It's not a tricky ploy. It's because I believe God died for their sins. But I don't want them to feel like I'm only showing interest in them because I want them to come to church. People are, are, they read right through that now. Don't assume those around you are fine. Just because you sit next to them at church or you work next to them in the cubicle next to them at the office or you live on the same street as them. Oh, I see them all the time. Come go. They smile when they see me. They're fine. They don't have any issues. Don't assume that you have neighbors who are lonely. You have coworkers who are suicidal. You have friends who are lonely. You have people sitting next to you in church right now that are going, I wonder if I should even come back and worship here because it seems like nobody cares about me. I'm going to end a little different today. Every church has a culture. Every, 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 everything has a culture. You go see a doctor, that office has a culture. Athletic teams have a culture. Families have a culture. That's why when you marry into an in-laws, you go to their event and you're like, wow, that didn't look like my event growing up. And you think they're weird, but you might be the one that's weird. We're all weird in our own way because everything has a culture that's set with it. A couple years ago, I was re researching and 
I found something about the percentage needed to change culture in an organization. Anyone have a guess on what the number, the percentage is? Like if a culture says, I want to, if an organization says, I want to change the culture of our organization, no matter what size, what do you think is the percentage that is needed to change that culture of that organization? Shout it out. 10%. 60, 95, 86, we got numbers. So we're all over the place, man. We're, t- we're at 96% and 10%. Research, again, research-based message. To change culture in an organization, it requires 20%. And so I got to thinking, man, I, I didn't count today, but let's say that, you know, all the kids are downstairs. Let's not count them right now. Let's say we got, a, let's say we got 120 adults here today, over or 120 people here today in this sanctuary right now. Don't start counting. We need 20% to make sure our culture is a disciple-making culture. And as you stand to your feet today, have an altar call and I have said everybody come pray everybody come to the front everybody and this is one of those probably only times that I'll pastor this church that I'm going to say just for today just for today I'm not inviting everybody statistics tell me that to change the culture or to if we have that culture to protect the culture, a disciple-making culture that's more aware, that's more outward than inward, that is not withdrawing, that's not just involved in my ministry and my plan and what God's going to do with my life. No, it's about others. It's about people. It's about serving. It's about investing. It's about taking hard phone calls and visiting people at tough times when it's not convenient. Yeah, that's... I, I, I want to I wanna make disciples. Might not always have all the rows roped off that you want with all the people you invited. But there's something in you that goes, maybe it's not being measured right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm making disciples. I'm intentionally investing in people, trying to get them to belong so that they can believe and become what God wants them to. And I look and I go, if we need, if we can change the culture or protect that culture with, with 24 people, just at least 24 people. And I thought, I want to, I want to wrap up this message. And I want to at least, and I'm sure knowing this church, we'll probably have more than 24, but I want to at least Invite at least, I just hope there's at least 24 people here. If it's not you, I'm so thankful that you are here to worship with us. I'm so thankful that you came here today and I pray that you'll come back. And feel free to stay and pray, but 
want to ask that. I hope at least 24 people that say, you're talking to me. No matter what my age is, no matter what my background is, I'm willing to invest in people, to look out for people, to serve, to make disciples, to love people, to not just push my way of thinking on people, but just to be kind, to have the fruit of God's spirit in my life, to just to just be willing to do what, whatever it takes. If that's visiting them or investing in teaching a Bible study, going and picking them up from something. Maybe it's going to be tough phone calls that when they just went on a drug binge and they called me and I'm the person that's going to, hey, we'll go reach out to them. Hey, there's life beyond this and I love you and I know you're struggling, but I'm here for you. I don't know what that looks like and it, it's going to look different for each person that you interact with. But all I know is that statistics in our world says the world is dying from loneliness right now. And there's never been a more needed time for the local church. And so I'm inviting whoever I'm speaking to right now, and I'm praying there's at least 24 that will come to this altar right now and say, I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to reach out to people. I'm going to invest in people. I'm going to love people. I'm going to serve people. This ain't about me. It's about what God's calling me to do. I'm asking you to please come all across the front, whoever you are, because I'm going to pray over you and with you. You're going to help change the culture, set the culture, protect the culture. Don't just come if, if you're not committed to this. But if you are, I believe that God's going to use you to, to make a difference. Scoot in, go ahead. I assumed there'd be more than 24, but I look at this and I go, wow, if I only need 24, if all of us are intentional about making disciples, if all of us are willing to serve people and love people and reach out to people, if all of us are willing to, to minister to those around us who are hurting and broken and looking, of this church is going to be one that is going to make disciples. It's going to make disciples and children and adults, neighbors, co-workers. Oh, Jesus, I pray right now. God, you see, Lord. You see, Lord, every person who, Lord, is here, God, with stand in your presence, arms raised, worshiping you, God. On your name. God, help us, Lord. Help us to make disciples. Help us to be looking in a lonely world, Lord, for people who need you, Jesus. For people in our past, Lord, who are hungry for darkness. Now I stand in the hope of new life. When I call on your name, you answer when I fall you are there by my side you deliver me out of darkness and I stand in the hope of new life 